This edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell. Bird Campbell, a pair of Dukies who are also lawyers. If you're looking for legal help in the states of Florida or Texas, please reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. Duke fans, welcome to episode 142 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am your host this week, Jason Evans. I am joined, as always, by my partners in crime in Durham, North Carolina, Sam Klein. How are you having a good day there, Sam? Yeah, uh, things are going great here. Duke uh, Duke had a, had a lovely come-from-behind win yesterday, so uh, so everyone's feeling good. Yes, yes, they did. And... In the D.C., in the capital, with a lot of snow, right, John? Donald, you got a lot of snow around you, don't you? Yeah, we got about three inches overnight. It's starting to come down again uh, right now um, as we record. We're supposed to get another couple inches today. But, I mean, I'm from Michigan, so this is what we call flurries. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is, it is definitely <laughs> it is definitely nice to wake up and see uh, some of the cold white stuff on the ground uh, here in D.C. So, gentlemen, we are going to start uh, by recapping the games of this past week. And, uh, of course, the Blue Devils beat Wake Forest earlier in the week, 87 to 65. But let's put that aside for the moment to talk about what happened yesterday, which was Duke 80, Florida State 78. Um, Cam Reddish with the buzzer-beating game winner um, in uh, in a game that was truly remarkable because Zion Williamson got got face-palmed in the eye and uh, did not play the entire second half of the game. Jason, I might, come from I, might behind quibble, and, I might quibble with your description of face-palmed and, and might describe it as clawed. Yes, yeah. I, I think that would be more accurate. You are correct about that. Um, but the, the Blue Devils managed to find a way to win anyway on the road against a very, very impressive opponent. Florida State's a sweet 16, great eight quality kind of team. Um, and, uh, and, and they were on, they were having a very good day and, and Duke won anyway, which is a great, great sign. Um, Sam, I'm going to start with you, uh, but let's, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to do this. Let's compartmentalize this. I want to begin by talking about Cam Reddish and the shot, and then let's move to a lot of other stuff that happened in the game, but let's start at the end. Um, Cam shot and, and I'll toss to you this question. So Terrence Mann of Florida State does not bother to cover Cam Reddish on the final shot. Um, what are the odds? Wide open, no one near him, no one contesting the shot. What do you think the odds were that Cam hits that shot, um, uh, an open three-pointer with no one contesting him at all, 80% or more? Maybe not that high, but but still much higher than his regular three-point percentage, which has been hovering in the 30s this year. Um, getting that, getting that clean look with the ball passed right to him. Trey Jones made an excellent pass uh, around. Uh, I think it was Chris Kumaji was was defending him uh, on the out of bounds play, so he had to sort of contest with that. But he but he threw a great pass to Cam Reddish, who who fired it immediately. I mean, it was a it was a perfect feed. The the two interesting aspects of it that made it easier for Reddish in that moment. One was that. RJ Barrett, you know, just despite Cam Reddish having a great game, RJ Barrett had a had a tremendous offensive game and is clearly Duke's primary offensive threat, especially with Zion Williamson not on the floor. So Florida State was keyed in on Barrett and making sure that his 
he, he was sort of standing in the corner for what might have been a, a catch and shoot, but but was more likely a catch on the baseline and drive it in over the course of two seconds opportunity. So Florida State was really concentrated on defending that primarily. And secondarily, they were focused in general on the rim and, and in the paint because Duke was only down one. They only needed to score a two-point basket to, um, to win the game. And a three-pointer, while, while something that the Blue Devils are obviously practicing a lot, is not, is not necessary here. So I guess Florida State was going for the, the high-percentage defensive opportunity, which was get, get, pack the guys close to the basket, let guys remain on the perimeter. It, it did seem like a little bit of a failure, though, on Florida State's part when Duke's three perimeter players did a little weave at the beginning of the, of the out-of-bounds to open Cam Reddish. So he was, he was wide open ready to take the shot. And it was a perfect game for this to, for this to come his way for this opportunity to come his way, because he, for the first time, I think in weeks looked very comfortable offensively. He made a number of great shots and and this just sort of capped it off for him. Donald, what was your take on the final shot and on Cam's whole game? I mean, Sam opened the door there. I, I agree that um, what a great time for Cam Reddish to rediscover uh, his stroke and his confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Five of eight from three on the game, uh, 23 points. Uh, but going back to the play, um, that's a hell of a play call by Coach K. I mean, just think about all the all these moving parts that you guys were describing, but add to the fact that, you know, they were zeroing in on R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett goes all the way to the corner, bringing not one but two defenders with him. Um, one guy was uh, completely on him. Kumaji's guarding the, uh, Trey Jones on the inbounds. And Trey Jones just makes a slight, you know, uh, head fake towards, you know, as if to to indicate that he's going to pass the ball underneath into the paint where there's three Florida State guys who are collapsing when they see this. All those guys shift just just so ever so slightly to the left. And that opened up the passing lane that Trey Jones had to get to Cam Reddish, who was wide open. So, you know, not only was it a great play, um, it it was one that was incredible incredibly well executed by everybody on the court. All of these little things make this moment happen. So uh, hats off to, hey, to Coach K. Ha, have, have you seen Have you seen the video of Coach K in the huddle right yeah. before Duke uh-huh. goes back yeah. out there? And he looks like he gives the team all the instructions, and then you can clearly see him look at Cam and say, you ready? Yep. And that play, answer, and that's yes. the thing. Is, <laughs> it's not like that was a secondary option. That play was set up to get the ball to Cam Reddish, and that is – incredible because again he knew that everybody in the gym thought that rj barrett was going to get the ball and and it, that would have been the right call as well um but to make it so a play makes it so that cam reddish is that wide open um that is execution by the players it's a great play called by the staff um and everything was everything came together in that play but going back to the whole game as a whole cam reddish welcome back like we needed that um performance from him that was in my opinion that was his best performance of the season the one place that he didn't really do well was at the free throw line which is when he where he normally gets uh, a lot of points he was 0 for 4 from from the charity stripe but everything else you know he he was very good on defense um you know five of eight from three-pointer as i said before those sort of things and they were also you know plays that and there was that one play where he's just ripped the ball out of the florida state uh, players' hands ran down the court and then did a running uh, stop and, and pulled up for a three pointer and just drilled it. Like that's the sort of confidence that he was getting in this game, and that's what we need from him, uh, especially this week. We got you know two good games this week, uh, but another thing I want to talk about 
RJ Barrett, 32 points. It was just in, I mean, his ability to score in any different way is really what makes him. And that's why, I mean, he's one of the best players in the country. And you saw that yesterday when Zion went down, they couldn't do anything with Zion at all. Uh, when he was in the game, Zion was really playing very well. Um, he was owning the offensive boards, and yeah. um, and and by the way, once he went down, Duke's rebounding whew, went down boy, with it. Yeah, it oh was, my gosh! Not only um, did we not get any more offensive rebounds. By the way, in second half with no Zion, um, Trey Jones got two offensive rebounds. Cam Reddish got one. That's it for offensive rebounds for Duke in the second half. Um, and and defensive rebounding, Florida State was killing us just killing us on their offensive boards, our defensive boards. Um, I actually think Marquise Bolden, to some extent, saved the game because uh, Javin Delorier did not grab a single rebound. Um, I thought Bolden, you know, our, our two-headed center monster between Delorier and Bolden, um, uh, even though Bolden didn't have gaudy stats in this game, uh, he was at least getting in Florida State's way. He was grabbing some defensive boards. He blocked a couple shots. He was essential to this Florida State team that was just grabbing rebounds and dunking on us left and right. Yeah, and one final point uh, before I give it back to you guys is you, you were talking about that, uh, you know, them just dunking on us. That length was really a problem for us once Zion went down. It was almost like when when Zion was in the game, they respected his ability, his blocking ability, his rebounding ability enough that they weren't really challenging uh, him they were going after some of the other guys in, in the paint. So um, that, and that, you know, this is one of the longer teams we'll see all year, as far as their leaping ability, their athletic ability, and just how, you know, how many big guys they throw at us. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the team, you know, just kept staying close. And even though, you know, they, you know, Florida State would go on a couple runs, our guys were right there with them. Anytime there was a, you know, an alley-oop that would get the crowd going wild, we would come back down and, and RJ Barrett would hit a three. Cam Reddish would hit a three. Trey Jones would make a great pass and, and inside for, you know, a layup. Like, those sort of plays are, are what veterans do. And we were playing a very veteran team, as we discussed last week. Um, these guys play like veterans yesterday, and I think that is why we are still number one in the country. Well, uh, so – uh, first of all, I'm going to go back to Sam in a second, but uh, I, I want to mention how improbable it was that Duke would win this game. I mean, for Florida State, uh, Cabin Gelly has a career game. The kid will never play that well again, um, uh, you know, in his life. He was he was awesome. Um, Phil Kofer, who is a Duke killer, just absolutely owns the Blue Devils. Uh, by the way, Kofer, you know, the they say that he's 22 years old. I think he's 35. That dude has been around forever, and he looks like he looks like Greg Oden out there. Hey, he they, has said, a, they mentioned a stat about him. He, uh, Phil Kofer, has played against both Jones brothers. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not pretty a, funny. Yeah, not a lot of guys who've done that. Um, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, so he's been oh, because he took a red shirt. He right? took a red shirt in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Phil Kofer, by the way. Uh, seven total three pointers on the season, but he hits five against us. And uh, but the most significant reason that I thought this was, uh, you know, and and of course Zion missed the second half. So, but the most significant reason I thought Duke wouldn't win this game, as I was watching it being played out, was that the refs were letting Florida State play their style. 
This was unbelievably physical. And, and we mentioned in the preview, Florida State, full of juniors and seniors, redshirt seniors, stuff like that. Their entire roster is like 22, 23 years old. Duke's, you know, Duke's playing nothing but 18-year-olds. Um, and, and the refs really let Florida State bang on us a lot. It was an incredibly physical game. Um, and, and I just thought it was a game that when you lay out all those you know, all those facts. Captain Gelly's going to have a career game. Phil Kofer's going to go off and, and you know, hit as many three-pointers in this game as he's hit all season long. Florida State's going to be allowed to play their style. Duke's going to be without Zion Williamson for the uh, entire second half. Uh, you know, and it's in Florida State. It's for our, it's really our first true road game because that the Wake Forest game earlier in the week, uh, you know, it's not the atmosphere. I mean, the, the, the announcer's Dick Vitale kept on talking about he'd never seen a Florida State crowd this hyped, this pumped up. Um, it, it just it, it was incredibly unlikely and a, and a testament to this Duke team that they won the game. And Sam, before I go back to you for a couple more comments, I, I do want to point out, I, I thought the hidden stat that no one is talking about that's the most important statistic in this game, the reason we won this game, fast break points. Florida State only got four fast break points. Um, Florida State's a team that likes to play with pace. They are a team that likes to get easy baskets. They got a lot of easy baskets on lobs and and offensive rebounds, but they did not get any fast break. And, and Duke does an incredible job of preventing teams from getting easy baskets on the fast break. Duke got 21 fast break points. I mean, we're talking, you know, we're talking a, a quarter of our baskets are you know, those easy run out fast break baskets that we get every game and, you know, in a tight game against a really good team on the road, getting easy buckets. Whew, that's, that's the ball game. That's why we win. And Jason, Sam, what else you that, got on this? I, 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 to piggyback on that, you, you sort of talked about two issues that, that kind of come together in the game plan. Duke is getting back on defense in this game because Zion's not in there to, to wreak havoc on the offensive boards. Duke was sort of committed to letting Florida State have most of the most of the rebounds and not uh, rebounding the Duke not rebounding their shots to get second chance points because they knew they had to get back and because they knew they had to combat Florida State wanting to run out. So I, I would imagine that that was a that was an intentional part of the game plan. And Duke knows that even without Zion on the floor, it still has a good enough defense that they can that they can stop Florida State in the half court. I think that some of those Florida State backdoor cuts and and layups and dunks are concerning and something that the Blue Devils are going to want to work on, but there aren't a lot of teams that can execute that as well as Florida State can just given their their size and athleticism even even among the ACC teams they're going to be one of the biggest. So that aspect of it I I think is probably going to vary game to game about how much Duke is committed to the offensive boards versus getting back on defense. I did want to come back to the crowd real quick, Jason, because you talked about how good the crowd was, and Dick Vitale mentioned it too. This game, I, and you know me, I'm not, I'm not one to to be complimenting Maryland for anything. This game felt like one of those one of those Maryland games from the mid or early 2000s, where the Maryland crowd would be just all over the Blue Devils, and this Florida State crowd was was ready for it. They know they've beaten Duke. A few times recently, when Duke's been ranked number one in Tallahassee, and and they're not they're not afraid of this team, and the the crowd was was all over it. They were showing it, so so really uh, a a great effort from them. Even though Duke was able to overcome it, I did want to come back and make uh, one more observation. We've talked before about how Coach K loves to shorten the bench throughout the season, and 
you know, early in the year, like Alex O'Connell will get minutes and Jack White will get minutes and and everyone's getting minutes and Justin Robinson's going to play six minutes a game and and be allowed to take a three every night. Not not on this night. Uh, Alex O'Connell played six minutes, even though even though Zion was limited to only 15 minutes, given that he sat the entire second half with the eye injury. R.J. Barrett and Trey Jones both played the entire game for Duke. And 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 then you've only got five other guys out there who are, who are rotating around. So Duke's clearly limiting the the bench minutes, and we're seeing the exact rotation kind of come into fruition here. I think that we talked a little bit on the last show about the potential for Cam Reddish's slump to continue, and and what might happen to the starting lineup and the rotation as a result of that. I think that you're seeing here what 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 you saw on Saturday was basically Duke's final version of the rotation minus Zion, you know, playing in limited minutes. It's really going to be the starters, you know, the, the four freshmen in Delorier with just Bolden and Jack White coming off the bench. Alex O'Connell, it seems like isn't going to get a ton of burn down the stretch this season, unless for some reason Duke needs the, you know, no one's shooting well and Duke needs that offensive spark. I think you're just going to see these seven guys rotating in and out. And honestly, uh, it, it, it seems okay. Um, the, the defense doesn't suffer as a result of it. The Duke isn't extremely foul prone. That's been one of the criticisms in the past about about the limited bench is that if multiple Blue Devils are are down with foul trouble, then then who do you put in? Do guys have enough experience? I think this really came into play in that 2016 season, the Brandon Ingram year, when you know every game sort of felt like oh they have to they have to fend off um, they have to fend off the the fact that that they're only playing with with six guys and if one guy gets in foul trouble then everybody else needs to be totally on their game but this is it this is the rotation we're going to see likely for the rest of the season um so well, the, that, the, would, that that's just kind of the that that's just, it, it's it's kind of the i think that's the big takeaway from from this game is the shortening of the bench i mean i i, I will say this um and, and we're gonna get to the wake game in one second um and donald uh be prepared i'm coming to you on wake in, in half a second the only thing i would say about alex o'connell's minutes is uh, I, I think it was impacted by two factors. One is Cam Reddish was clearly having a, a great game. Um, uh, look, he finishes with 23 points, five of eight from three-point range. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think O'Connell's minutes are going to fluctuate with Cam's minutes to a large extent. Um, so if Cam if Cam's playing really well, that's going to limit Alex O'Connell. I also think Florida State is a bad team for Alex O'Connell to play against. They are incredibly athletic, arguably. I'm trying to think really quick about the other teams we're going to play this year. Florida State may be the most athletic team um, and longest team that we're going to play all season long. And I think that they are just sort of a bad matchup for Alex O'Connell um, in general. Uh, yeah, yeah, top of my head. Yeah, Florida State, most athletic team we're going to play all season. I think that's probably accurate. Um, so so I, I think it doesn't bode well for Alex O'Connell coming into this game. And then with Cam playing really well, um, I think that limited it even even more. And, and then the other weird thing about it is not having Zion actually meant we needed more scorers on the floor. And I think that also works against Alex a little bit. I mean, Cam's more creative. He's going to do more offensively for the most part than Alex O'Connell is. So with no Zion, suddenly we're limited in the number of sort of non-scorers that we can have on the floor at, at any one time. And I think that also limited Alex O'Connell just a, just a little tiny bit. Um, that said, I don't completely disagree with you. I think he's clearly the eighth man, and and there are going to be plenty of games where he, the eighth man gets less than 10 minutes. All right, let's 
Let's move. Let's put Florida State aside. Great win. Way to go, guys. Duke played their first true road game earlier in the week when we took on the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Um, uh, Wake's probably the worst team in the ACC. I think few people would dispute that. You don't have um, to. You don't have to qualify it as probably. Wake is the worst team in the ACC. <laughs> there we go, uh, Donald. Give me your takeaways from what was a very very easy win. Um, sort of competitive in the first half, but but I mean, Duke's a second half team. Um, we trounced them very early on in the second half, and it was all over. Yeah. Uh, well, you have to start with uh, this stat line: thirty points, ten boards, five assists, four steals and one block in 32 minutes. Yep, guys, that's Zion Williamson, uh, the first player to ever go 30, 10, and 5 under Coach K. Uh, so add that to the list of accomplishments that he's done already in this in his uh, short uh, college career so far. Uh, he, he was all over the place. They had no answer for him. He was he was Zion. That's pretty much the best way to put it, and everyone knows what that means. Um, but I also want to highlight a couple guys off the bench that had great games. Uh, in my opinion, Jack White had five blocks um, and was everywhere on the defensive end of the floor uh, for us, especially in the second half when we start to pull away. As you mentioned, Jason, it was kind of a struggle in the first half um, and it was kind of back and forth. But once the second half hit, it was we were we, we were in gear nine and they were in gear two. And that and that was the end of it. Um, but Jack White really contributed to that. And Marquise Bolden, 12 points and six boards, I thought had his best game. Uh, in you know, with us this year since that uh, Auburn game, um, but uh, was really, really, really good uh, for us. And especially um, w- there's points where we had a couple of guys um, that were really like kind of seemed out of sorts in the defensive end. He was able to just clear out boards and and really start our transition, which led to a lot of points um, that don't show up on the stat sheet. So I want to give a shout out to those two gentlemen, but specifically Zion for going 30, 10 and five and just really manhandling everything, including the stat sheet. Uh, So by the way, regarding Zion Williamson, I I said this, I think I said to you guys, I said to someone after the game, um, if, uh, if an alien from another planet, a planet that has stronger gravity or something like that dropped down on earth and started playing basketball, he would resemble Zion Williamson. I mean, I'm at a loss for words to describe his combination of athleticism and skill. Uh, he quite literally is playing a different game than everyone else. The the limits upon human capability that other people operate under don't exist for him. And seeing him hit three out of four three-pointers, opposing ACC coaches watching that Wake Forest game, watching Zion hitting shots from the outside – were getting physically ill. They were having to go into the bathroom and and throw up because I can't imagine. I don't know how you stop this dude if he's hitting three pointers. Jason, um, I, I think had- it's Jason. I just want to mention that I think it's you know I think we should be honored that Zion decided to uh, come to Duke and play basketball um, <laughs> while he is you know waiting for uh, Avengers Endgame to come out because I know that's a big year for him. Um, Thanos is, is coming back and, and, and his name is Zion Williamson. So uh, I, I think it's great that he decided to take a break from, you know, snapping at everyone, half the world uh, to play basketball for us. But by the way, so uh, you talked about the incredible stat line, 30 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, four steals, a block shot, three out of four, three pointers. There's an aspect of his stat line that I wanted to mention. 
that is just insane. He had 30 points on 16 field goal attempts. Now, ordinarily, first of all, that's crazy. That's just a <laughs> stupid number. 30 points on 16 field goal attempts. You, you just, I mean, like, you don't hear about that. Like, ordinarily, about that. like, just think about that number, right? Like, if they were two pointers and he made all of them, that's 32 points. Like, yeah. But- so, or, or, but ordinarily, a guy who does a crazy number like that, you look at his line, you go, oh, wait a second. He was 10 of 12 on, on free throws or something. You know, it's a guy who has a bunch of free throws that sort of skews the, 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 the number of field goals and, oh, he's picking up points where he's not actually picking up field goal attempts. Aha. Uh-huh. Not Zion. Zion was one of one on free throw attempts. He only took one free throw. So he scored 30 points on 16 shots with only one free throw. That's like, and it was an and one. He's crazy efficient. He's unbelievably efficient. It's just, like I said, he's an alien from another planet. And and the last thing before I get it over to Sam, um, I I thought Duke's shot blocking. I I mean, we've talked about it a lot this season. I, I thought it was especially on display in this game against Wake Forest. We had 13 blocked shots. There were multiple possessions where Wake would take a, a shot, we'd block it, they'd get the ball back, take another shot, and we'd block it again. Um, and, and that's just demoralizing if you're an opposing team. Jack White, Jack White had five block shots. Um, it, you know, the guy that Jack was covering, it felt like could not even get the ball to the rim most of this game. Um, uh, this team is just – and oh, and by the way, early in the game, in fact, I think it was like the, the there was like a the second possession or something like that. Um, uh, uh, Childress, uh, Brandon Childress, um, was running out on a fast break, and Zion was chasing him down, and Brandon ends up missing a wide open layup because he was so certain he was going to get his shot blocked by Zion Williams, and he sort of mm-hmm. took it awkwardly because he was like, "Oh shit, this guy's coming. The alien from another planet is coming to get me," and so he blew the layup. Um, there is a sense of fear a sense of fear when you put up a shot against the Duke Blue Devils because we're coming to get it. Sam, what you got from the wake game? Uh, just to add that during the game and during Jack White's uh, uh, superior defensive performance, I think I I started referring to him as Blockadile Dundee. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm really, I don't know, I, I, I feel good about it. I didn't know, I didn't know at what age I was going to transition to becoming one of the one of the old weird DBRs who comes up with bad nicknames for players, but here I am. Uh, yeah, well, I kind of <laughs> like that one though. That was no, that's good. a good one. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad Dundee joke at all. Strong. That's pretty good. Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, that's um, strong. That's, my, that's really what I'm here. <laughs> what I'm here to contribute, Jason. You you talked about everything. I mean the 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 defense against Wake Forest was was elite. Wake Forest is not an elite offensive team by any by any measure. So it's not like it's not like Duke can expect to ha- to be blocking every single shot. I think they blocked like something like 18 or 20% of Wake's shots in this game and and just just were overwhelming them and yeah that 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 moment of Childress missing the the easy layup is just it tells you how scared uh, overmatched teams are against against Duke because sometimes you know Duke is often one of the 10 or so best teams in the country and and when when teams that are say like non tournament qualifying teams play teams like that uh, there's an element of just like, well, th- they're just bigger and better than us, but we can still we can still sort of fight with them. Wake didn't didn't even look like that against Duke. They they were playing scared. Um, they had a little bit of confidence in the first half because they were keeping it close, and Duke was missing a few shots. And I I said to um, to the friends I was watching the game with, I was like, Duke's gonna we just win this game by twenty. Like it, it doesn't it, it didn't feel competitive much at all. 
Um, even though, even though wake was sort of back and forth in the first half, it was like, we're just going to run them down. And, and sure enough, in the second half, they kind of just lost steam. Like they, they, they didn't really, they couldn't keep up with Duke for 40 minutes. So, um, overall, uh, a good, but, but not especially telling performance from Duke against wake Forest. I, I was glad that the, the blue devils had the opportunity to follow up with that in Tallahassee and really show what they looked like against a big nationally ranked uh, Florida state team. This edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by our fine friends at Bird Campbell. You can find them in Texas and Florida, a pair of former Durky, Durkies, Dukies. <laughs> I'm not going to edit that out. That was kind of funny. Uh, Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, a pair of former Dukies who have gone on to form a fabulous law firm. Find them on the web at birdcampbell.com, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Bird Campbell means business. All right, compadres, Duke has a pair of big games this week. Um, there's no no simple way to say it. We, we are going to be playing the number one team in the country, even though we're also the number one team in the country. That's the Virginia Cavaliers. But before we get to Virginia, we've got a game against Syracuse. Syracuse always plays Duke tough. This is the week, this is the week, guys, of playing teams that play slowly. <laughs> um, Syracuse, 272nd in tempo, in number of possessions per game. Virginia, dead last, 353rd in possessions per game. Duke likes to play fast. We are 13th, the 13th fastest team in the country. So... Syracuse playing slow, Virginia playing slow, Duke wants to play fast. Whose style is going to win? I want to start. Let's put the Virginia game aside for a moment. Let's start with Syracuse. Donald, I'm going to go to you first. Talk to me about, first of all, this very disappointing Orange Men team that has not lived up to preseason rankings, preseason top 10, top 15 team, and they are, they're looking like maybe a bubble team at this point. And talk about what you expect to see in this game. Yeah, like – I. <laughs> I think you're leading off with 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 the main thing. What Syracuse Orange team are we going to see tomorrow uh, on Monday night? You know, um, they beat Ohio State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and everyone was like, "Oh, that's the Syracuse that we had grown to." You know, we were talking about like they lost to UConn. You know, decent uh, Oregon. You know, those are those are you know pretty decent teams. Uh, Buffalo they lost at home and got you know really run out of their own gym by Buffalo. But I'm I'm discrediting that because Buffalo is a really good team if you've seen them play basketball this year. Old Dominion at home, Georgia Tech at home. Like, I don't know what it what it is about the Orange that has been off this year. But, I mean, like, Ty's battle has been playing pretty well for them. Um, you know, Brissett has also been playing pretty well for them. And Chuku has kind of been one of their surprise guys that has contributed more than they thought they would. And still – you're talking about them, you know, coming off of a 73 to 59 loss at home to Georgia Tech. That should never happen under Bayheim or any Syracuse team. Um, they should not be losing to Georgia Tech at home by 14 points. So what are we going to see on Monday? You, you said it. It's going to be, you said slow. I think they would call it deliberate. Um, and I would say it's a little bit of both. Um they're going to try and limit the number of possessions we have because in their mind, if we don't have as many possessions, we can't score as many points. Um, 
but really what we have to do is, you know, play the game that we've always been playing, get out into transition, because if we get into transition, they're not going to run with us. Um, hopefully Zion's back. Um, you know, they uh, said after the game that he had double vision, um, and that's why he was kept out of the second half against Florida State. Hopefully that has recovered uh, where he can play some minutes on Monday because I think him on the floor means we're going to win this basketball game by a lot because they have no answer for him. R.J. Barrett is going to need to have a good game as far as uh, uh, taking the ball to the rim, um, getting some of their guys in foul trouble. He can finish at the line. And if Cam Reddish can continue his little hot streak that he started um, over the past week, I think we're in really good shape against the Orange. So uh, the thing about uh, I'm sorry, the thing about Syracuse, uh, they are a, a truly terrible shooting team from the perimeter, mm -hmm. especially. I mean, just they're they're they hit less than thirty percent of their three pointers. Um, they're one of the bottom ten teams in the entire country in hitting three pointers, uh, and they're uh, taking uh, a lot too. It's not like they're taking you know five a game or something like that. They're taking a good chunk. Yeah. They're, they're, they're putting it up there, and they are not hitting it at all. They only have two guys who hit better than 30% of their three-pointers, and uh, that, that, that's going to be a big problem for them. Um, I, I, the key to me in this game is whether or not Duke is able to solve that Syracuse zone. Um, uh, I, you know, Coach K obviously knows it really, really, really well, but Syracuse does a great job at um, – uh, at forcing turnovers out of that zone, they 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 do a really good job of protecting the rim. They're very good at, at blocking shots out of that zone, um, and, and it's it's hard to score points on them. Uh, I can't imagine there's a Duke team that doesn't get to eight. This this Duke team doesn't get to eighty points. I mean, we have, you know, other than Texas Tech, we have managed to you know score eighty plus points. You know, every game this season, uh, I, I don't see any way that that Syracuse is able to score 80 and keep up with us. So, um, sorry, against Auburn, we only had 78. But for the most part, I mean, Duke, Duke's getting in the mid-80s to 90s uh, in virtually every game, if not more than that. And and I don't, I just don't see how Syracuse keeps up with us. This, this game's got to be played in the 60s, maybe 72 or so, 70, 72, for Syracuse to have a chance at winning. Um, and and I, I, it's just going to be tough for them they're not good enough on offense to keep up with us, I don't think, even though they are very, very good on defense. Sam, thinking, Sam what do you got at Syracuse? I, I, just thinking about, about Duke on offense, Duke really wants Zion Williamson. Duke wants Zion Williamson in every game, but they really want Zion Williamson to be back at it in this game because I think he is going to end up playing that center spot in the you know where he waits around at the free throw line against the Syracuse zone. Zion's sort of the perfect player for that because he has the ability to get to the rim easily from the free throw line just by dancing around defenders and, and hopefully, you know, cutting through traffic, but also he has, he has great passing vision and that's sort of the key to, to beating the zone is being able to move the ball in and out of it, as opposed to around the perimeter. Duke hasn't been prone this year to, to passing around the perimeter too much. They, they're good at getting the ball inside and, and that's ultimately the way to disrupt the zone. We've talked about that before. I think Zion plays that role in this game and you you guys talked both about about tempo jason you really just alluded to it when talking about the point total um that's going to be the big indicator in syracuse and then we'll come back to it again at, at 
against Virginia. Tempo is going to be big for Duke here that they're playing in Cameron. So the the momentum of the crowd will be behind them and they'll hopefully be able to to move the ball up and down the court quickly, hopefully get into scoring chances fast enough that Syracuse doesn't get to set the zone and, and it doesn't get to dictate the speed of the game. And then and then coming back to your point, Jason, about the about their three point percentage, um, Duke is is going to be concerned, I think, after the Florida State game about the interior defense and making sure that they don't allow so many layups this time. And that's going to feed perfectly into defending a Syracuse team that doesn't really shoot that well. So um, look for Duke to 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 pack the defense in, allow Syracuse to to move the ball around on the perimeter, but but not allow any kind of penetration, uh, especially again if if Zion is back on the floor. Um, this should be a fairly easy win for the Blue Devils at home. Yeah, most of the advanced metrics um, predict that Duke wins by thirteen to fifteen points somewhere in that kind of ballpark. So let's put that Syracuse game aside. Um, uh, and and move on to Virginia. Um, as I said, number one versus number one. Duke number one in one poll. Virginia number one in the other poll. Um, when you look at the advanced metrics, when you look at things like Ken Pomeroy and the such, Duke and Virginia are really set apart from everyone else in the country um, uh, by a fairly significant margin. And uh, you know, I'll start it off this way: uh, this Virginia team is not like past Virginia teams. They are still great on defense. They are fabulous on defense but they're much better offensively than they have been in the past. Um, they're still playing really, really, really slow. Again, slowest tempo in the country. But once they actually get into their offense, um, they're, they're fairly good. I'm, I'm terrified of this game. This is a, a, an excellent, excellent Virginia team. Sam, start off. What, what do you think we need to look for in this contest? Well, first of all, I'm glad that Duke gets I, – I like that Duke gets Virginia twice this year because it's always fun to see Duke playing the best – uh, as often as possible, even if it means it's harder for them to win the conference. I'm glad that the first game is at home and that Duke gets to, you know, all the freshmen get to see that Virginia pack line defense for the first time in a friendly environment as opposed to in Charlottesville. I think they've gotten a taste of of what ACC road environments can look like when they're really on point as they were in Tallahassee, but this is going to be a good game to have at home. So coming back, tempo, of course, Jason, as you mentioned, is, is sort of the key here, Is is... Virginia going to dictate the tempo and we're going to play closer to 60 possessions in the game, or is it going to be uh, going to be played at, at Duke speed, which is closer to 75 possessions a game. That's the, that's the big difference in, in the styles of these two teams. Both are really efficient at, at either end of the court. It's amazing how like thinking about the tempo, Jason, you said it, that they have the slowest tempo in the country. It seems like they actually have the slowest team in the country every single year. Like it's not, it's not that they are ranked, 320th in the country they're always 353rd they always play at the slowest pace they always make you play their game they always make the game end like in the 50s although this year because they're because it seems like they've stepped it up a notch they are um they're really blowing opponents out i, I don't know um you might have to go well, i was going to say you might have to go back to the tournament to, to look for a game they haven't been in a blowout yet but i guess that was also a blowout in the tournament um so look for Duke in this game to um, to try to speed up the tempo, to try to play at at Zion speed and not at Kyle Guy speed and 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 not at Diakite speed. Virginia's got lots of dudes who are able to lock it down on defense and and they play very well. Um, they play defense very well together and showed against against the Florida State team that Duke obviously was back and forth with. Virginia just stomped that Florida State team. Granted that it was a home game and everything, but but we have seen. 
we have seen their ability to to really get after teams this year. And Jason, as you noted, it really is Duke and Virginia as like one and one A in as the best teams according to the advanced metrics, and then everybody else is behind them. Um, these are to this point in the season the two best teams in the country, like pretty far and away as far as as far as the metrics go. So I, I'm excited to be at this game. College game day is going to be there, which is which is awesome and always a good time. So. Um, it's going to be, uh, hopefully it's going to be pretty lit in Cameron on Saturday night. By the way, you know, a scary thing about Virginia, really scary thing. Uh, like their guys are there. This is not like all seniors. <laughs> like if they bothered to stick around and I think Deandre Hunter is probably going to turn pro, but if they bothered to stick around, like Hunter's a sophomore, Kyle guy's a junior, Ty Jerome's a junior, Braxton keys, a junior Dia TK is a junior. Uh, I mean, Jack Salt is a senior, but I mean, he's like sort of the least talent. He's just a big in the post. Um, Kahit Clark's a freshman. <laughs> this, this is a team. They, they could be real. They, they've been good for a while, and we know that the style that that Tony Bennett has his teams play that the, the you know the way he teaches that pack line defense um, is is truly truly impressive. And uh, no matter who they run out, there, but Virginia team. Um, could be good for a long time, uh, Donald. That, you know, tell me what player on Virginia we should really be looking at. Who who's the key matchup for them? It's got to be DeAndre Hunter, right? He's the one athlete on that team who really, really, really matches up with Duke's stud wings, right? Yeah, I I, I like that matchup that he has, uh, especially on the wings. You know, I, I'm wondering who they put on him. Was it going to be Cam Reddish or is it going to be RJ Barrett? Um, I would look to see. Uh, reddish start against uh, Hunter at first, um, and they may have a, you know a lot of switching and stuff. But really, guys, this game—this uh, is how I build this game. What happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? This is this is Duke and, and Virginia. And honestly, if things go well, you know the way we think uh, they could this year, this could be the first of you know three, maybe four chapters of this, uh, you know, of this season rivalry between these two teams. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this game simply because I want to see how our, t- I mean, we've seen how our team plays, you know, against Texas tech and teams like that, but I want to see how, when, when someone says this team is better than you um, and they're arguing that this team is better than you. I want to see how our guys react to that. Um, we, we, we've seen us play some very, very good teams so far this year. Um, but Virginia might be the best team we face all year, and we're going to face them more than once. So, um, I, I like Sam, I'm glad this game is in Cameron uh, to start. I like that we'll have, hopefully, the the, the Cameron crazies are going to be just ready to go uh, in, in full season form. Um, and really, this game is going to be one where I don't think you're going to want to blink because um, it's going to be one of those games that every, every action-packed second is going to be incredible basketball to watch uh from uh from e- from either perspective or even even neutral perspective so uh, i'm really looking forward to it hopefully everybody uh is back i hope zion is ready to go um uh tomorrow um but e- even on saturday night this is going to be that game where um you know get ready to go um and, and tell you all, tell you all your friends that you're not going out saturday night you're watching this game so uh the, the last thing i'll add about uva um and you have to talk about their defense. I mean, that's that's what I want to talk about because <laughs> their defense is unreal. Um, they are the best team in the country 
at stopping you from hitting three pointers. Um, opposing teams only hit twenty four and a half percent of their threes against UVA. Twenty, not even twenty five percent. Twenty four percent of three pointers get hit against UVA. I mean, that's like that's just that's a scary, scary number. Um, the one thing, good thing I would say for team, you know, despite despite Cam Reddish, um, you know, having a really good game against Florida State. We're not a team that takes a ton of three-pointers, and we're not a team that relies on the three-pointer to to score a lot. We do most of our scoring off the two-point basket. Duke, Duke, by the way, is the the third-best two-point field goal percentage team in the country. We hit almost 59% of our two-point shots. That makes us third in the country on two-point shooting. Um, Virginia is very good at stopping two-pointers also, but but they are really great at stopping teams from hitting three-pointers. And... So my for Duke in this game is that maybe, maybe, uh, uh, you know, the thing that Virginia is great at is not something that we need to be great at to win. Um, that said, I'm not sure it's so hard to get inside that damn pack line defense. Um, I don't know that, that you can beat Virginia without hitting some threes. So I, I, I love the way you say irresistible force versus a movable object. <clears throat> you know, I know you're talking about pace. I think the irresistible force is Virginia's defense and, and their ability to stop teams from hitting a high percentage. And and the immovable object is Duke's ability to to hit a high percentage of our two point shots, especially. Um, you know, if, if we only hit 45 percent, 40, 45 percent of our two pointers, we're not winning this game. Um, and that's that's just, you know, that's that's it. And it's got to happen. All right, guys, we are uh, getting ready to wrap things up. Uh, parting shot player of the week is what we have left. Let's start with player of the week. And I, it is a challenge because there was a clear, clear, clear player of the week coming out of that Wake Forest game when Zion Williamson was um, unreal, unhuman. And and then he didn't get to play the second half of the Florida State game. So, uh, Sam, I will go to you first. Are, are you sticking with Zion based on that incredible performance? Or are you going with someone else for player of the week? Only because I haven't given it to him yet this year. Let's give it to Cam Reddish for uh, a near buzzer beater against Florida State. That's the kind of highlight that we are going to remember for a long time. And even though even though Zion and the block party came to came, and, and the blocks, I guess, came to party on Tuesday night against Wake, the big game this weekend was the one against Florida State. I like your rationale. Donald, who you got? Uh, I'm so glad that uh, uh, Sam went with Cam Reddish. Uh, so I can go with R.J. Barrett. Um, R.J. Barrett, 21 points against Wake, 32 points against uh, Florida State, needed every one of those 32 points. Uh, and really when Zion's, you know, Zion fell um, against Florida State, he stepped up in a big way uh, and assumed the scoring uh, along with Cam Reddish. So uh, with all respect to all the other guys, I'm going to go with R.J. Barrett for the entire week's performance um, and, and how he stepped up. Donald, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm also going with R.J. Barrett as player of the week. Um, Cam Reddish doesn't get a chance to hit that huge three-pointer to win that game against Florida State without R.J. Um, absolutely taking over the game for long stretches of the second half. Um, and, uh, you know, as we indicated, he had a pretty nice game against Wake Forest as well with 21.7 assists. Um, 
uh, very efficient. You know, his shooting, um, a lot of people were complaining about his shooting efficiency. And, and I think this year he showed he, I'm sorry, this, this week, uh, he, he was uh, much more efficient again, hit half his shots, um, which is what we need from a guy like that that is carrying the offensive load so much. So, uh, so I'm going to RJ as my player of the week. I can't believe if you had asked me after that Wake Forest game, if it was possible to pick anyone other than Zion Williamson, I would have said it was impossible because he was unreal. But uh, Zion, your eye, blame it on your eye. Your eye prevented you from winning player of the week this week. It's parting shot time. We're about to wrap it up. Donald, you get to go first. All right, guys. So, Jason, this was your parting shot last week, um, but we actually uh, have an update. You know, last week, uh, the uh, headline monitors for uh, uh gave out their annual black tenting test uh, to all tenters who wished to join uh, the, the tenting line for the UNC game. Um, Jason, you had mentioned that this was going down this past week and it did guys, I got a copy of the test. Um, so I was going to, for my parting shot, give, uh, I know Sam has not taken this test, has not seen this test. So I'm going to give you a few questions and see how you do and you can match up, uh, with the rest of the tenters. So Sam, are you ready? I, 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 wait, wait, before we do it, I just want to go ahead and say I've seen it, so I'm not going to take it. Uh, even, even. Though I've seen it, I wouldn't be able to answer the questions correctly because I think the questions are freaking stupid, but <laughs> fine. We can discuss that in a minute. It's a dumb test. This is not a the right kind of test, in my opinion. But go ahead and ask your questions. Okay, Sam, with that aside, are you ready? Yes, let's Okay, do it. so there are four sections. I'm going to take a question from each section, okay? So the first one, um, the recruiting class this year, um, what were the final individual ESPN 100 rankings of each current freshman. Uh, so RJ Barrett was one. Mm-hmm. Cam Reddish was two. Zion Williamson was three. And I, ES, uh, I think Trey Jones ended up 17 in the RSCI. I don't know what he ended up in ESPN. So I'm, I'm going to guess. I'm just going to guess 17 for Trey Jones. And then uh, do I need to come up with a number for Joey Baker as well? That's correct. Uh, I do. Okay. Uh, yeah. Joey, Joey Baker's final ranking. Let's say I, that I have no idea. He was probably something like, like 43. Okay. You were pretty close. Okay. RJ was one. Zion was two. Cam was three. Trey, you got it right on the number 17 and Joey 41. Wow. Uh, that's so you're pretty that's, close. That's yeah. Pretty close. All right. Uh, and you would have got a point for each of those that you got right. Okay. Um, that, that is okay. impressive. Sam. That, that was yeah. pretty good. Okay. The, the, the Joey one, Baker number was, was a complete guess. Yeah. So. Um, so the next one, how many points, blocks, and rebounds did Marquise Bolden have against Auburn? What? Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you. This, this, is, is, this is part of the st- – it's stupid. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Right, there, let's say – let's say uh, – give me one hint. Did he have a good game that day? This was Auburn, so he Auburn? had a great game. Yeah, he had a great game. That's awesome. right. Yeah, okay. Um, he had – best, best game in a Duke uniform. His best game in a Duke uniform. He had 13 points, nine rebounds – Five blocks. What else, What other stats did I need? No, those were the three. Um, so you got the rebounds correct. Um, he had 11 points, nine rebounds, and seven blocks against All right. Auburn. Okay. In aggregate, I think I think I got the right total number. So yes. That's, that's <laughs> if, if this was soccer, you would be going to extra time. That's correct. Ah, great. Um, and so there's two quick ones. Um, the largest margin of victory in a game this season, and which was the opponent? I think you know this one. It was... 
it was Stetson or Hartford. Um, I'm gonna go with like I'm gonna go with Stetson, and the and the final margin was like 72. Okay, it, it was Stetson, but it was 64 points. It was 113 points. The 49. In the yeah. final question, who sponsored the tournament Duke played in over Thanksgiving break, and what is their main product? Uh, Ma- it was Maui. It's the Maui Gyms Maui Invitational now, mm-hmm. and Maui Gyms main product is sunglasses. That is correct. All right. So they used to be. It used to be EA Sports Maui Invitational be EA because Sports they used when to they have changed the, a couple years ago. That right. They had because they had the um. It was EA Sports, and they and the players would play in a video game tournament. Because I think mm-hmm. I think if I remember correctly, John Shire won the video game tournament in the 2007 Maui Invitational. And they and always Duke, did the they always did the simulations too to on on EA to tell you right, how right. the tournament was supposed to come out. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, the yeah, Ma- yeah. Ma- I mean Maui Gym is obviously a logical sponsor, but um, right. but not as fun as EA Sports. But yeah, so that right, was the so test. It was very, it was very a lot of uh, it, the subject matter was 2018 19 season and stuff surrounding that. But as Jason will probably dive into, there was a lot of stuff you had to memorize, like you know stat lines and and you know, three point percentages and how people ranked in the ACC and nationwide. So there was a lot of that, but you know what, Jason, I like that because you have to separate these kids somehow. They all go to Duke university. They're all smart kids. So you have to figure out there's some questions that got to be difficult to try and separate some of these people because you can't have everybody scoring a perfect score, but can they name all of Duke's final four years or like something that's something that's maybe more relevant to the whole program? I don't know. Yeah, so so the, the problem I have with it is, um, I, Donald, you happen to pick some of the more interesting questions that weren't as um, the rest of the questions uh, on the test uh, were were incredibly heavy on you know have you memorized final scores and and stuff like that um, and, and and very precise stat kind of things that that I just think. It's just so it's it's silly. It, it it's a memorization game, not a true fandom game. A, a a a fandom game would have been a lot more questions. Um, you know, like I'll tell you what. Question number one should have been name every player on the team. Um, like no, that spell, is one of the questions. Spell Shashevsky. It is, is, is yeah. So the, the very first, first question, Jason. The very first question is name every player on the team their position, and their hometowns. Okay, I, that's fine. That's, pre- that's fine. I, I think just... that's pretty fair. And then yeah, the second question was name the coaching staff and their actual titles. So like associate head coach. Because yeah. they, they all moved around this year. Correct. Right. Th- th- those are good. But, but after those, it gets into all the stat kind of stuff. And I think there should be a little bit of history to it. You, you should have to – like you should have to name um, – Every Duke national title team in terms of what year they won it and who they beat in the final game. I mean, heck, in fact, you want to separate the, the, the wheat from the chaff. You should have to name every year. I'm not saying, you know, you have to get, but there should be points for every year Duke made a final four and who won the national title that year. I can do that for Duke going back to back to the uh, 60s. You know, at least uh, uh, no, but I can go back into the I can go back to 79. Um, well, they didn't make the final I don't four know in that 79, I can, Jason. You 78. He means 78. Ooh. Ooh. Thank you, but Sam. It, yes. Here's the thing. Look, there's going to be a point. There's going to be a point where, I mean, we're, ta- we're not talking about 
the whole wine, right? This is for black tinting. So the winners of this have the earned the right to have 10 of themselves out in Kville at all times. So this is not, we're not talking about, you know, casual fans versus the diehards. These are none all of this the is diehards. Supposed to be, none of this is supposed to be fun. Right. <laughs> this is all the diehards. So, so I think the, I think the idea is, you know, the questions that you have are fine, Jason, but they're probably assuming that every one of these people come into this knowing at least most of those questions. In fact, if not all of these questions. And here's the funny thing. If, if this test was administered when I was there, guys, I started following Duke basketball really three years before I arrived on campus. Now, was I a good, was I a quick learner? Absolutely. But it is made to, I mean, if I had signed up for black tinting and you were asking me questions about like the 1978 final four, I would have told you, I don't know, Michigan probably played in it. So I, I think those sort of things is they had to find a fine line. And when you're talking about all the diehards, they probably like, you know what, let's just focus on this year's team because this year's team is why they're all in line for it. Um, and I think that is probably why they opted to go the way they did. But uh, those were some of the questions on the test that I think the test is now available on uh, online somewhere. I can't remember where, but I got it. Shout out to the uh, line monitors who were able to send me a copy of this test after it was administered. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you guys get lit next Saturday. <laughs> All right, Sam, your turn. What you got for a parting shot? Well, uh, as, uh, as, as much as the, um, like I, I guess what's the terminology like as much as the world change it always stays the same mm-hmm. um the th- this week on t- so on tuesday night duke played wake forest of course in the in the first half of the acc doubleheader uh the the big four doubleheader because then in the second game uh, nc state hosted unc and anyone who watches who's ever seen an nc state versus unc game knows that what's going to happen is NC State is going to feel like they're able to win the game, and then UNC is going to win the game, and yep. that's exactly that's yep. exactly what happened <laughs> the other night right. in Raleigh. Um, I was watching the game again. I, I said I was watching the game, the first game with friends, the Duke Wake Forest game, and I said, oh, "This is Duke's going to win this game by twenty, and that's that's just how it works." And then Duke won the game by nineteen or twenty points. Um, NC State, when NC State plays UNC, be it in Raleigh or in Chapel Hill, it's uh, NC State's going to hang around in this game, but they're never going to take the lead. And UNC's never going to give them uh, give them a chance. And sure enough, um, NC State loses the game to UNC, ninety to eighty two. Um, UNC plays really great down the set stretch to um, to sort of hold the Wolfpack at arm's length, and then uh, UNC then promptly goes out this weekend and gets absolutely creamed by a not good Louisville team uh, in Chapel Hill. So wait, uh, but we're, on that worst, note, worst loss, worst loss, home loss in Roy Williams's career. Yeah. Look, on that note, um, I just want to point out that usually what ESPN does when the game is running too long is they oh, say, this is awesome. hey, this game is starting on ESPN News or ESPN2. And once the conclusion, once this game is concluded, we'll switch you back over to this channel. and You can come back after the next commercial break. Well, yesterday. Um, because UNC was getting the break speed off them, they mercy ruled them. They said, you know what? This UNC game is now going to be found on ESPN News. Duke Florida State is coming on right now. And it's not like they started and it was like tip-off was waiting. They were like waiting to the last possible moment. No. 
they went through all the intros. They went. They were like, no one, no one hype. wants to see this mess. It was a full yeah. pregame. It was a full pregame. A full pregame they, they, they that they normally do UNC so they could show the full pregame. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So um, shout out so, to ESPN for breaking out the mercy rule again. Um, that was pretty fun. Classic, but classic UNC versus NC State. And I'm sure that whenever they meet later in the season, the same thing will happen because the Wolfpack are uh, maybe not the most doomed team against against UNC because, of course, that goes to the Clemson Tigers. Um, but but just year after year, it's so demoralizing. Uh, Wolfpack still still having a pretty good season um, regardless, and we'll we'll see them coming up very soon. Uh, and I'm sure that they'll play the game of their lives when when they play against Duke uh, in the next couple of weeks. So uh, my, my parting shot is the more the ACC changes, the more it stays the same. So for my parting shot, gentlemen, earlier this week, Coach K was interviewed on Dan Patrick's radio show. Um, and, and, and the entire interview is available online. You can watch it on YouTube. Um, uh, and there were, but there were two sort of takeaways I had from it that I just wanted to mention very quickly. The first was Dan Patrick promptly asked Coach K, hey, what'd you do for New Year's Eve? What'd you do for New Year's? And <laughs> this is what it takes to be the GOAT. This is what it takes to be the greatest. Coach K said, uh, he's like, New Year's? Uh, when was that? Wait. He goes, I was, he goes, oh yeah, I was, I was watching practice tape. And I was getting our practice plans put together. He said the, the guys had the day off, but we were practicing the next day. So I had to watch the practice tape from the previous day and get together a practice plan for, for the next day. And I was just like, dude, really? I mean, you've been at this for like 40 years, <laughs> 40, 50 years, something crazy like that. And, and, and you're still like, uh, you know, New Year's Eve, you're practice, you're, you're working on practice plans. It's like, the, he never rests. That's that's how you get to be the best. But he also told a very, very funny story that is good advice for any man who is getting into a relationship with a woman, any man who is married or getting married. Coach K told the story about his daughter. He has three daughters, as you know. That should be a question on the test, by the way. Coach K's daughters or Coach K's offspring, how many and what are their sexes? Sorry. I will get back on topic now. Um, so he told the story um, about uh, his his oldest daughter was pregnant, and he was sitting around the table with his three daughters, including the pregnant one, and his wife. And his daughter said, "Coach K, whatever, Dad, I guess, whatever she calls him. I'm sure she doesn't call him Coach K, <laughs> Mike, Dad, whatever." She goes, "Dad, what should my daughter call you? What do you think you should be called?" And Coach K answered her and he said he goes i was an idiot i was stupid anytime a woman asks you a question your answer should be i don't know what do you think <laughs> instead he answered her and he said oh i think the kids should call me coach and he said he then for the next 30 minutes was brutally attacked and berated by his wife and all three of his daughters about how coach was not an appropriate nickname for a grandfather he is actually called Poppy, which is a very appropriate nickname for a grandfather. In fact, my father is known as Poppy by my, my kids. But, uh, but he was like, whatever you do when a woman asks you a question, your answer should always be, what do you think, sweetheart? <laughs> <laughs> Man, those, those Coach K, we, we don't get uh, a lot of interviews with Coach K, but when he does make the occasional appearance on Dan Patrick, we always get the good stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's oh, yeah. low volume, but it's, but it's high quality. 
There was zero strategy. I was like, I was listening to him. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to pull out. There's going to be some great nugget about how he's instructing Zion to do this or that or or how he's structuring the team around nah, RJ. Nothing like and, nah, none of that. It was like it's a meet. It, it, telling stories about how he how he screwed up with his wife. <laughs> hey, speaking of speaking of stories, I, 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 I had just remembered this. Did you guys see the uh, the appearance that Jason Williams made on Duke Blue Planet this week live with Nolan Smith? Yes, I did. See um, that. So very briefly, um, the the um, I, I don't know. I guess they're doing these occasional Duke Blue Planet live things where they call alums and stuff. It was actually pretty fun, but um, they did Nolan, Justice like a week ago. I want to. Yeah, say. they had Justice Winslow on, but mm-hmm. Jason Williams told the Coach K Samurai story uh, that that Shane Battier told us once upon a time. So, oh yeah, um, yeah. So confirming. <laughs> confirming the the coach k samurai sword story which is a good one um and uh and if you don't remember go back and listen to old episodes of duke basketball report because because they're on there too nice sam good plug good plug yeah you like that you like that plugging our own show that people are already an hour into (laughs) 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 folks that is going to do it for us here on this edition of the dbr podcast a very successful week for the blue devils as we go on the road in the acc and win two games This week, we come home and we play two really important games. You can count on us to have very, very quick reaction to that Virginia game next week. Tune in for that. Until then, I am Jason Evans. I want to thank Sam Klein and Donald Wine for joining me on episode number 142 of the DBR podcast. It is now time for the Duke Band to play us out.